Walks Connecting. London Walks here with your daily London fix. Story time, history time. The first American locked up in the Tower of London. That's the claim Jeremy Beadle makes for Henry Lawrence. Remember Jeremy Beadle? Some of you will, I'm sure. Well, Jeremy gets a B- for that paper. Henry Lawrence was an American, and he was locked up in the Tower of London. But he wasn't the first American to be a guest of His Majesty in the mighty and notorious London Castle, come Palace, come Prison, come Arsenal, come Zoo, come Mint, come Jewel House, come Record Office, come Execution and Burial Site, come Major Tourist Attraction. Yes, the Tower of London has been all of those things in its time. The first American in the Tower slammer was Francis Lovelace, the second governor of New York Colony. Okay, he was a Londoner bred and born, Woolwich, Southeast London. But if you're the second governor of New York Colony, you qualify as an American, in my book at any rate. If anybody wants to be a purist about the matter, we'll say he was a dual national. His governorship wasn't especially successful. He lost New York to the Dutch. The Duke of York wasn't best pleased, not least because New York was his namesake colony. We might say today the buck stopped with Francis Lovelace. He was a man in charge, after all. He was sent home in disgrace. I'm sorely tempted to call the second governor of New York an old lag. You know that lovely old bit of English slang? The American equivalent would be jailbird. Somebody who's had his share of run-ins with the law. Okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but Francis Lovelace did time in the Tower on two occasions. First in 1659. That was before New York was on his radar. And then in January 1675, he was remanded to the Tower for dropping the ball so spectacularly on the other side of the Atlantic. I mean, losing New York to the Dutch? Not a good career move. That second time he was interrogated by commissioners, his answers were deemed unacceptable, but no further proceedings were brought against him. He wasn't a well man. He got dropsy in April of that year, and they released him. He died in penury. The Duke of York had helped himself to all of Lovelace's land and wealth as a rebuke, shall we say, for the New York screw-up. Anyway, Lovelace died in penury in Woodstock, Oxfordshire, on December 22, 1675. All of that's good, hearty fare. But I've saved the best for last. Francis Lovelace was a younger brother of the Cavalier poet Richard Lovelace, who, behind bars himself in 1642, wrote the wonderful poem Alethea from Prison. Yes, that poem, the one that has the immortal lines, Stone walls do not a prison make nor iron bars a cage. What I want to know is, locked up in the tower 17 years and 33 years later, did Francis Lovelace pace back and forth in his cell, reciting over and over again, stone walls do not a prison make, maybe to the point where he begged to differ with his brother, the hell they don't. Moving on, a much more famous American name, William Penn. And yes, once again, William Penn was English. He was a Londoner bred and born, 
Indeed, he was born at Tower Hill and baptized at All Hallows by the Tower. But given that he was the founder of Pennsylvania and the founder of Philadelphia, the city where the Declaration of Independence was signed, I think we can get away with seeing him as an American. Another dual national, if you prefer. Anyway, William Penn was locked up in the Tower in 1668. Solitary confinement in an unheated cell and threatened with life imprisonment. Pretty grim, really. And his crime? Blasphemy. Then we come to Stephen Sayre. He was part of a thousand-strong American community living in London at the time of the outbreak of the War of Independence in 1775. He was accused of conspiring to kidnap George III. They were going to put His Majesty in the Tower of London and then send him back to where he came from. Well, where his ancestry came from, Hanover, in Germany. The plot was foiled. It must have been a decidedly uncomfortable time for that Yank. He wouldn't have been able to open his mouth, not with that American accent of his, without getting piercing looks from everybody within hearing range. Thanks to a proclamation of rebellion, the government had spread far and wide. In the proclamation, the population was asked to be aware of diverse, wicked, and desperate persons and asked to inform the authorities of any traitorous conspiracies and attempts against us, our crown, and dignity. In the event, the bang on the door came. Sarah was arrested on a charge of high treason and bunged up in the Tower of London. That was in October of 1775. A fellow American. What's that expression about a paucity of honor amongst thieves? Anyway, a fellow American blew the whistle on Sarah. Sayre had confided in his compatriot. Problem was, his compatriot, one Francis Richardson, was serving in the British Army as an adjutant in the Tower. Well, it sort of hangs together, because remember they wanted to put George III in the Tower after they'd nabbed him. They were going to spoil that year's state opening of Parliament by kidnapping George III when he was on his way to that great state occasion. So it's not His Majesty going into the Tower... It's his would-be kidnapper, the American Stephen Sayre. In due course, the charge got watered down from high treason to treasonable practices. Eventually, they released him on payment of a bail of a thousand pounds. A lot of money in those days. And finally, the charges were dropped entirely and the bail money returned. The word was put about that if Sayre seriously thought he could pull off a stunt like that, he should have been committed to Bedlam, not the Tower. But hey, you can't keep a good yank down. From London, Sayre went as an agent of the U.S. government to Russia, where he tried to charm Catherine the Great. I've long wondered, was that word charm a euphemism? Did my countrymen really try to bed the Russian empress? I wouldn't put it past him. Only other thing you need to know about the American Stephen Sayre is that in 1773, he served as a sheriff of the city of London. Well, he was from the land where the hustler was king, the land of razzmatazz and positive thinking, the land that, in due course, would produce a guy named Dale Carnegie, who would write one of the best-selling books of all time, a book titled, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that brings us back to Henry Lawrence, the Yank Jeremy Beadle thought should have pride of place in this particular lineup. Jeremy, laboring under a massive misapprehension, 
thought Henry Lawrence was the first American prisoner in the Tower of London. And it doesn't just get us to Henry Lawrence. It also gets us to this day in London history, October 6, 1780, the day they showed the American Henry Lawrence to his cozy little room in the Tower of London. Two rooms, actually. Small rooms, to be sure. The Brits had kidnapped Henry Lawrence on the high seas. As a representative of the American government, he was en route to Holland to make a treaty on behalf of the American states. When the British warship turned up, he threw a bunch of incriminating letters overboard. But they were recovered? That led to the Brits declaring war on Holland two months later? Henry Lawrence was bunged up in the tower on suspicion of high treason. He was a prisoner, but he had to pay rent for his cell. And he had to pay for his food, drink, bedding, coal, and candles. He was made of pretty stern stuff. The Brits tried to win him over. They threatened to hang him if he didn't turn his coat. That didn't work. Nothing they tried worked. He stayed firm. For 451 days he was in there. And I really like how it ended. A prisoner exchange. Remember there was a little event at Yorktown, Virginia, on October 19, 1781. It was the last major land battle of the American Revolutionary War. When they surrendered, the defeated British Army and their Hessian comrades-in-arms marched out of Yorktown with their flags furled and their muskets shouldered and their band famously playing, the world turned upside down. They marched out of Yorktown and laid down their arms before the two armies, French and American, that had defeated them. But here's the thing. The victorious Americans took a very high-level prisoner, Lord Cornwallis himself, the British Army's commanding general. In due course, a prisoner exchange was arranged. The Americans said, We'll give you Lord Cornwallis in return for freeing our man, Henry Lawrence, letting him out of your wretched Tower of London and sending him home. I'm not personally acquainted with either Lord Cornwallis or Henry Lawrence, but my every instinct tells me the Americans got a better deal, got a better man. Four other Henry Lawrence takeaways. One, he was the former president of the American Congress. Two, he joined Ben Franklin, John Adams, and John Jay at the peace conference in Paris, was one of the signatories to the treaty by which Britain recognized the independence of the United States. Three, before the War of Independence, the Americans complained bitterly that Britain treated them like slaves. Henry Lawrence was principled enough to see the inconsistency in the argument that the mother country treated them like slaves while they themselves owned hundreds of African slaves. In due course, he declared he abhorred the institution and freed the slaves that worked his plantation. He was the first large planter in the Deep South to do so. Four, he was one of the first Americans to be cremated. Personal note, this is why I do these podcasts. 24 hours ago, I knew nothing about Henry Lawrence, had never heard of him. I'm very pleased to have made his acquaintance, even if he wasn't the first American to be locked up in the Tower of London. And a Today in London recommendation? Easy. Visit All Hallows by the Tower. It's the oldest church in London. It was founded in A.D. 675. It's the church where William Penn was baptized, 
The sixth American president, John Quincy Adams, was married there. It's got a fascinating little museum in its crypt. We do a lot of walks that start at Tower Hill Tube. You want to be really efficient. Make the best possible use of your time. Just get there half an hour early for the walk and cross over to the tower side. The church is right there by the tower and pay a visit to All Hallows prior to the walk. That's 20 or 25 minutes well spent. All Hallows by the Tower is a rewarding place to visit. You've been listening to the Today in London History podcast, emanating from www.walks.com, home of London Walks, London's signature walking tour company, London's local, time-honored, fiercely independent, family-owned, just-the-right-size walking tour company. And as long as we're at it, London's multi-award-winning walking tour company. Indeed, London's only award-winning walking tour company. And here's the secret. London Walks is essentially run as a guides cooperative. That's the key to everything. It's the reason we're able to attract and keep the best guides in London. You can get schlubbers to do this for 20 pounds a walk, but you cannot get world-class guides let alone accomplished professionals. It's not rocket science. You get what you pay for. And just as surely, you also get what you don't pay for. Back in 1968, when we got started, we quickly came to a fork in the road. We had to answer a searching question. Do we want to make the most money? Or do we want to be the best walking tour company in the world? You want to make the most money, you go the schlubber's route. You want to be the best walking tour company in the world. You do whatever you have to do to attract and keep the best guides in London. You want them guiding for you, not for somebody else. Bears repeating, the way we're structured, a guides cooperative, is the key to the whole thing. It's the reason for all those awards. It's the reason people who know go with London Walks. It's the reason we've got a large following, a lively, loyal, discerning following. Quality attracts quality. It's the reason we're able, uniquely, to front our walks with accomplished, in many cases, distinguished professionals. Barristers, doctors, geologists, museum curators, archaeologists, historians, criminal defense lawyers, Royal Shakespeare Company actors, a bevy of MVPs, Oscar winners, people who've won the Guide of the Year Award. Well, you get the idea. As that travel writer famously put it, if this were a golf tournament, every name on the leaderboard would be a London Walks guide. And as we put it, London Walks guides make the new familiar and the familiar new. And on that agreeable note, come then, let us go forward together on some great London walks. See you tomorrow.